Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It is very important to do your own research analysis before making any investment based on your personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find on our website or podcast and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise. Let me ask you something, man. Don't stop. I'm not finished yet. Do you ever ask yourself? Don't stop. I'm not when finished When are they ever going to stop? Do you ever ask yourself? When those bad boys are going to stop making all that money? What's up, my future one percenters? This is Marathon Money, brought to you by MarathonMoneyPlus.com. I'm Cam Jones, the prince of the stock market, a.k.a. your favorite billionaire's favorite thousandaire. And I'm here today with a special guest, my boy, Brian, and how do I say your, Brian? Feraldi? Feraldi, all right. Sure. <laughs> However you want to say it, I'm cool with it. How about Brian Ferrari? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, why don't you introduce yourself real quick, Brian? Sure. My name is Brian Feraldi. I am a uh, financial writer and I am a uh, contributor to the to the Motley Fool. Uh, I've been contributing to, to them for over uh, five years now. Uh, prior to that, I was in medical sales, but I am just one of those weird people that is obsessed with all things money, personal finance, and investing. Uh, I've been consuming as much financial content as I can get my hands on for the last uh, 15 years. And I am a big advocate of uh, personal uh, financial wellness and investing in the stock market. Man, that's, that's great, man. It sounds like, sounds like me. We have a lot in common, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I have a passion for, you know, personal finance, stock market, any, basically anything money, just like you said, I couldn't have said it better. I might even take what you said and just, when people ask me something about what I do, I might just play that clip. Well, I'm going to start saying, what's up, future one percenters to all my friends. So yeah, I'll steal from you, too. <laughs> so um, I just want to get your opinion on the stock market here. So if we like I like the tech stocks mm -hmm. and uh, obviously those have been getting hit over the past mm -hmm. about two months. Uh, but I do think that it's probably I don't know if it's over yet, if there's still more of a drop, because if you think about it, you know, the Nasdaq still has like maybe if we're talking about a correction, you know, the correction is somewhere around 20 percent. Uh, the Nasdaq probably still has about 15 more percent to go, but I don't really think we're going to get there. I, I think that we probably hit like the 200 day moving average on like the yearly day chart, maybe. Um, but. Do you think it's time to start like dipping in, not throwing all your money in it, but start getting some companies that maybe um, you wanted to pick up, but maybe they were they were too expensive. Like one that comes to mind would be like a, um that's popular Zoom or something. You know, like Zoom in his heyday, you know, it was almost four hundred. I think it was four hundred. Um, but you know, now I think it's like in the hundreds. I don't have it up in front of me now. I do. Okay, it's three hundred sixteen. Yeah. Zoom had a heck of a 2020. Yeah, they got it, it up to was, almost $600 yeah. per share. Currently, about 316. So, had had a significant pullback. But you know, if you zoom out the lens a little wider, it's been a phenomenal long-term yeah. holding. Yep, yep. So that's what I'm saying. Is it 
do you think it's time to dip in something like that? Let's say someone had a thousand dollars. I wouldn't recommend them like on a Friday or a Monday, you know, just throw the whole thousand in in the stock market. I would say, you know, like, hey, dip in like 200 here, see what happens another 200 the next week or something like that. And if you put in the 200 and the market shoots up on you, then fine. You know what I'm saying? If it goes down, fine. You know, then you can start grabbing more on, on a, you know, at cheaper prices. If you have a set amount of money to invest, if you're always going to come up with the, the dilemma of when do I invest? Mm -hmm. And if you, if you started that in December, you would think, well, the market's really high, and then what happened for the next two months? Continued going up. And if you're looking now, it's like, well, the market's really low, but could it go lower? If you're trying to guess the short-term movements of the market, you're going to drive yourself crazy because you can always, there's always reasons to second-guess yourself. And if you're always second-guessing yourself, you'll never invest. You'll right. always be on the sidelines. Looking back, when was the when was the best time to invest in the last couple of years? March of 2020. What was the world like in March of 2020? It was scary. Yeah. I mean, the world was on lockdown. We were dealing with a pandemic. We had no clue what was going to happen. We had no we had, we had no semblance of what was coming our way. But if you were just a casual observer of the stock market, the only thing you knew was that prices were falling dramatically. And some of the, some of my my favorite uh, stocks to to um, own for the long term just got whacked like 40, 50 percent in the matter of weeks. Yep. Weeks. There's no way that I would have known in March 15th or whatever it was. OK, this is the bottom. It's all straight up from here. I don't even try and guess that if you were to ask me what's going to happen next in March, I would have said lower. That would have been my guess. Right. And I would have been dead wrong. Just like if you asked me in February, what's the market do uh, next month? I would have said higher, yeah. and I would have been dead <laughs> wrong. One solution to that dilemma that you're talking about that I'm a fan on, uh, a fan of, is writing down a preset schedule for yourself. So if you have a thousand dollars and you want to invest that thousand dollars over the next five months, on the pick a date. Today's the we're recording this on the 21st, so you'd say, okay, today I'm going to invest 200 bucks in the stock market. The next $200, I'm going to invest in exactly one month on June 21st. However, if the stock market falls 5% between now and then, then you accelerate your next investment. And that new date that you accelerated on is your next one month target. So let's say in, I, I invest 200 bucks today, stock market falls 5%, 10%, whatever number you pick for yourself three days later. So that would be the 24th. All right, so I, I accelerate my next investment early because I'm getting better prices. And then I say, okay, a month from now is my next $200 investment. And no matter what the price is a month from now, you invest. You're investing that money on that day no matter what. And you're only accelerating it if prices continue to fall. That can solve that dilemma as long as you commit to something. But in general, I'm a huge fan of writing things down when you're when you can think slowly and calmly making rules for yourself and then following the rules <laughs> but that's the big thing you have to be disciplined enough to follow your own rules you know um and i'm glad you said something about you know trying to time the market second guessing yourself and stuff like that because I, I read something on um uh 
on your uh, Twitter feed uh, that stick that stuck with me, and it said, um, "Don't focus on trying to uh, buy stocks at the bottom or something like that. It, focus on buying good companies at great prices, and that's really what." You want to do if you if you want to me if you wanted I just use Zoom again if you wanted Zoom when it was five hundred dollars and you're like man nah you know I don't want to buy it right then but I do want it and then it gets down to you know three hundred maybe you buy a couple shares you know um, but you have to you have to have some type of plan in place and most of well, I think more importantly more important than having a plan in place you got to actually pull the trigger yes. Taking action is the, the key part, which is why uh, one of the simplest things you can do is just to make things automatic. That way you're thinking and taking action once, right? You're saying setting up automatic, some, some kind of automatic investment plan so that money is coming out of your paycheck, coming out of your checking account, and going into, let's just say, broad-based index funds on a fixed schedule, and you have to take action to stop it. That's good because then wealth is automatically building on an unemotional schedule. So take the time to, to, set, to set that up. Um, but to your point, let's say you liked Zoom at 588, which was the absolute peak price yeah. back in uh, September. Zoom is a phenomenal company, just phenomenal on so many dimensions. Uh, the growth is outstanding. Uh, the product is differentiated. Uh, they are clearly uh, signing on new customers in droves. They're upselling customers. They're launching new products. They have one of the best CEO founders I've ever come across. They have one of the best corporate cultures I've ever seen. They're mission-driven. They have optionality. They have no debt. I mean, pick a metric. It looks awesome. They period. Need, hey, they need they <laughs> need to hire you, man. They need <laughs> Period. Well, I'm a shareholder. Um uh, yeah. But if you if you if you like all of that and and you did some analysis and you say even though it's price, even though the 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 valuation is very very high at $588 per share. The valuation was was very high. Um and it's still high today even at $316 per share. Um, I don't try and guess what's going to happen next to this stock. I would never have guessed that the stock was going to go from uh, 60 to 588. That was just not on my, my radar of things that could potentially happen. But that's exactly what happened. And I had no clue that it was going to go from 588 to now 316. But I can tell you, it was a phenomenal business at 80. It was a phenomenal business at 588. And it's a phenomenal business at 316. And if the company can continue to grow, continue to attract new customers, continue to expand, and continue to have its financial statements uh, flourish five years from now, 10 years from now, the stock's going to be higher than it is today, period. If it falters, and if it can't do those things I just said, the stock's going to be lower than it is today, period. So I'm not trying to focus on is three is three sixteen the right price? Is it going to go to two fifty eight? Is it going to go to one fifty eight? What's the next price that this is going to get to? What I would focus on if I wanted to become a shareholder of Zoom is, given the valuation today, given the what I know today, is buying this stock today a good place for capital in the long term? If you think the answer is yes, buy it. If the answer is no, don't buy it. That's some good advice right there. A good statement, I I would say. <laughs> so when you when you are um, evaluating your stocks, 
what how do you if, if you want to buy something what's your process so i have a checklist that i've developed um over the last 10 years where uh I can take any stock that uh, that you give me, and I run it through this checklist top to bottom. And just to give you a quick overview of the checklist, I look for, I judge things about the financial statements. I judge things about the competitive advantage, or Buffett calls it the moat. I judge things about the long-term potential of the business. Does it have optionality? Uh, does it have operating leverage ahead of it? I judge the interaction with the customers. Uh, does it acquire customers uh, cheaply or does it have to pay a lot of money for its customers? Will they buy from the company no matter what's going on in the economy or are they cyclical? I judge the revenue. Is revenue recurring and is there room for pricing power or is it one-time sale and, there's no, there, and it's a commodity uh, product? I judge the management team. I judge the corporate culture. I judge the mission statement. I judge the performance of the stock. This is actually a surprise, one that surprises people. I actually want to see the stock has already beaten the market. Already. I want to see that the stock is up significantly from when it came public and that it's beaten the market over the last five years. A lot of people look and say, the stock's up. I missed it. I look at it and say, the stock's up. I want to own it. <laughs> um, uh, and then I want to see that it's uh, low risk. And low risk to me means uh, it's got a diversified base of customers. There's not like one or two customers that are the bulk of sales. Uh, there's no outside force like commodity prices or energy prices or interest rates that's going to impact the company's financials. I don't want to see high dilution. I don't want to see growth by acquisition, et cetera. There's about 50 checks, 50 checks in total, and they, none of them take too long to do once you kind of get the hang of it. But I go top to bottom and I rank a stock and at the, at the end it spits out a score. And that's a numeric score that is completely, um, it's, it's a judgmental score and it's, you know, there's art to this. Like I'm guessing at some of these things. I'm trying to put a score to what the company's moat is, for example. Um, but as long as I'm doing it consistently, it allows me to compare two companies to each other and say, which company do I think is higher quality? And I've done this for hundreds of stocks now. So when I'm looking to deploy capital, what I do is I look at my, my watch list of stocks, which all this score listed up to them, and I buy the best stocks that meet the following uh, criteria. One, highest quality. Two, highest growth potential. Three, lowest valuation. So it's the combination of those three things that are the places that I put my capital on any given month and I just repeat that process ad nauseum. That sounds like a pretty extensive like process you put them through. Like how long does it take you to evaluate? Is it like an hour or a couple of days? Yeah, if uh, I actually, uh, on my YouTube channel, we actually show people how we go through that process from I know nothing about the business to I, I can evaluate this business. And I'm down to the point where it takes me about an hour or so, but it depends on the company. If I've never heard of the company before and have no idea what it does, it takes me about an hour. If it's a company like Airbnb, which just came public, obviously I know that as a consumer. Um, I can do that in about you know 45 minutes or, or so. But the, what, what the, the value of that process isn't necessarily the score that it, that it spits out because again, the, the score is subjective. I'm, I'm, I'm making guesses about, I'm putting numeric numbers on things like moat and optionality, for example. The value of it is the process. 
is going through and thinking through every every uh, every angle about about a business consistently because if you're just trying to do this in your head which is what exactly what I did by the way for for years I was trying to keep all this information in my head and you're trying to like you're like you have two stocks you want to buy which one do I buy this one or this one oh I like this one's CEO but I like this one's competitive advantage but this one's growing faster but this one's a lower valuation it's it's impossible to keep all that in your head finally I was smart enough to write this stuff down and come up with a a, um, a, a scoring system and, and doing so just offloaded it, it makes the decision making so much easier when you are the ones that are coming up with a score and then you can compare the scores to each other that sounds good uh, so what's a what's a stock right now that you like but you don't have oh uh, there's a lot of them <laughs> um, one stock that I think is very high quality uh, that I do not own is called uh, Zscaler. Man, I uh, just God, I was I was gonna buy that on on <laughs> Tuesday, and I never I just I didn't buy it. Okay, well, so then you know it. Uh, the ticker symbol there is ZS Zscaler. Yep. This is a roughly twenty three billion dollar company uh, that does um, essentially. Um, it's a cloud-based security company. They offer a couple of products, but they're a software-as-a-service-based uh, business model, and they provide uh, security solutions in the cloud. So all, all computing is moving to the cloud. Uh, you need cloud-native products to keep that uh, secure. Zscaler is a leader uh, in, 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 that, in that market. And the company's growth has just been out of this world uh, good. Uh, two years ago, in 2018, company's revenue was 190 million uh the last 12 months uh the company's re revenue is 536 million mm. so you're talking about uh, more than 2x uh almost almost 3x two and a half x uh growth in revenue in just uh in just three years uh, margins are good they're they're expanding uh, the stock is up many many fold since coming public uh the the founder is still in charge he's a he's an interesting uh guy it's a great place to work uh the balance sheet is clean they have new products that they're launching yet again reminds me a lot of zoom where it's like i like everything i like everything uh but i have yet to buy shares so that's one of many companies that um i don't own uh real quick why didn't you why haven't you bought it yet is it one of those things where kind of like you you're second guessing yourself it's not necessarily that it's um i currently own about 60 or 70 stocks and it's just that i haven't got around to buy that one i talk about stocks all day uh, at, at, at the Motley Fool, and we regularly talk about stocks all the time that we are interested in and like, but you know, we don't have infinite capital, and right, we have yeah. to make some some decisions. And I don't always get them get them right. Uh, for example, looking back, I've bought stocks. I, I've been looking at ZS, and I just, for whatever reason, didn't buy it. I bought something else, and ZS has outperformed it. So right. that's just one stock that I don't own. Uh, that, that, that's great. Uh, but you know, I own like. 60 like i said 60 or 60 or 70 so i'm very happy overall with my portfolio but i can always upgrade it more right yeah that's all the time you know you can always always do something a little bit better what's one that you like that you do own like one of your favorites that you own uh one of my favorites that i own is a very uh um I'll, I'll just tell you about my biggest holding how about that uh my, my number one holding is a company called mercado libre uh, the ticker symbol there is M-E-L-I. 
if you've never heard of Mercado Libre, uh, the gist is they are the eBay, Craigslist, PayPal, Amazon of Latin America. So they started out as the quote unquote, the eBay of Latin America, where they were a platform that connected buyers and sellers. Uh, they added on a payment option to become the PayPal of Latin America. And they've added on shipping uh, options. They added on advertising business. They've added on, uh, they're getting into the investment uh, business, uh, believe it or not. But this is a stock that I've owned for more than almost 10, 10 years now. Oh, you, and you super balling. You uh, super balling. It's the reason it's my number one holding isn't because I set out and said I'm going to make this my number one holding. The reason it's my number one holding is because I bought it and held it, and it's just done so well as a, as an investment that it's grown to become my number one holding. But uh, even today, when I look at the business, this is a sixty-eight billion dollar company, and if you think about Latin America. Latin America has roughly 600 million people, so about double the population of the United States. Internet penetration rates, so the number of people in Latin America that are online, is somewhere around 70-75%. So there's a big chunk of the country that has still, a big chunk of the, of the, uh, the area that is still not have access to the internet. Once they get access to the internet and they want to do some shopping, where are they going to go? Right. Mercado Libre is the number one platform to go to. A lot of those people are unbanked as well. They don't have access to a, a, a bank. Uh, Mercado Pago, Mercado Libre's uh, financial solution, is an easy access on road for those people to become banked. So the company's long-term tailwinds that, that will drive this business are still very much in place. And this is a $68 billion company, which sounds gigantic because it is. But no. for perspective, Amazon is 1.6 trillion. Right. I, I would trillion. Think, <laughs> I would think that Mercado Libre is easily a hundred hundred billion dollar company. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I, I if you were to say to me, fast forward the clock uh, ten years, I could see Mercado Libre being a five hundred billion dollar company. Like I, I think that's not that's not outrageous to me. Right. Right. Like the, it, a lot has to happen between now and then for them to get there. <laughs> uh, but I still, I still think this enormous company that has been a tremendous winner, uh, even from today, uh, still has multi-bagger uh, potential in it. Now it might take time for the fundamentals to catch up to the valuation because it's priced very highly, and there's all kinds of risks you have to consider, uh, especially given the geographies that this company um, uh, operates in. And you can bet that this is going to be a volatile stock because it has been a volatile stock. But if you're that, that is a company that checks basically every box uh, for me. It's grown to be my number one holding, and I have no plans to sell. All right. So uh, we we only have about seven minutes left, and I do want to get your opinion on something about. I guess it's stock related about Apple and uh, Epic Games. What's mm -hmm. going on there with the App Store? And, um, you know, Epic is kind of mad that Apple's charging 30%. Uh, do you think That's Apple one way of saying it, kind <laughs> of mad. <laughs> <laughs> you think Apple has a right to charge 30%? Do they have a right? Sure. They are the ones that built the platform, and it's theirs to do what they, they want with. But if you look at Epic Games, they're basically saying that Apple's a monopoly. Apple, Apple controls the, the end user with their smartphones and with their iPads, and 
that's an outrageous fee. And a whole bunch of other creators and a whole bunch of other companies do feel the same way. It's funny how that uh, Apple has become like the Microsoft of like, you know, monopoly and, and abusing uh, its power. How that ultimately shakes out, I don't know. I can tell you that uh, personally, I used to play Fortnite every single day. I love Fortnite. And when they took it off the uh, Apple's products, I couldn't play anymore because that's that was the the method that I played. Uh, so it has hurt uh, Epic Games uh, on that front because I'm I'm not playing it. My kids aren't uh, aren't playing it. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, I did have plans to upgrade my iPads, for example, specifically so we could play Fortnite. <laughs> and now I don't need to anymore. So how that shakes out is going to be interesting. But if if you think about the next say five years, uh, one of the major major trends to watch is going to be how how big how government thinks about big tech facebook google apple microsoft um they are their competitive positions are so strong it's no stretch to call them a near monopoly so it wouldn't surprise me if some of them got broken up or there was government intervention in some way here's here's my problem with that right so with as far as apple if it were me and I have an app. I actually do have an app in the app store that has in-app purchases. And when they take 30%, I'm like, dang. But <laughs> <laughs> if I don't like it, I'll just move it somewhere else. Like, So if I don't like that they're charging me 30%, you know, as far as Epic Games, you know, you can, you can get it on PlayStation 4. You can get it on PlayStation 5. You can get it on Xbox. You can get it on Nintendo Switch. You can get it on Android. So it's not like they – why do they – if you don't like it, just say, hey, I'm, I'm taking it off the app store then. You know, why, why, why don't they just go that route? You know, why are they trying to force Epic, Epic games did go that route. Uh, No, Apple Apple kicked, Apple 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 made them go that route. Go that route. And to your point, they do have plenty of other uh, distribution, but Apple was a major way that people accessed it. Again, my, my, myself, myself uh, included. And obviously if you're Apple's lawyer, you're going to say exactly what you just said. There's all these other outlets. They don't have to use uh, Apple. But if you want access to Apple's customer base, which tend to be people that have um, are more affluent and have money to spend, uh, you know, that's a, that's a lucrative market for a game developer to go after. Yeah, I mean, so. I, want, I, I want a Ferrari. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Should I sue Ferrari for, for the car being too expensive? Right, right. Now, there's, there's arguments both ways. And how it shakes out, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and the the big tech thing, I I don't you know. I feel like we entered a stage where no one saw any of this coming. No one saw the birth of the app store, and then from the app store, the birth of like so many other things. Think about everything that was created just because Apple created an app store. You know. Mm-hmm games what we just talked about um um social media wouldn't be social media was around before but it wouldn't be what it is now without the app store nope not even close Mo- mobile is how most people interact yeah if you, and again to your point about uh, foreseeing things if you rewind the clock mm, eight seven eight years when facebook bought instagram uh, I remember that. I remember that when that deal happened. Uh, Everyone thought that flabbergasted. Everybody thought that Facebook they, was so stupid for buying yep, them that for they a billion. Overpaid for a yep. billion dollars, which today looks like so quaint. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if the government was forward, forward thinking, they would have said no. <laughs> they would have blocked that deal. But uh, yeah, it just shows you how how big things can get 
in short periods of time when they work. Because now there's calls for Facebook and Instagram to be broken apart, um, but they're going to have a lot harder time doing that. Right, right. So uh, anything else you want to say? You want to give out your, your social media information? Sure. The, the best way to connect with me is um, is on Twitter. I'm at Brian Feroldi, B-R-I-A-N-F-E-R-O-L-D-I. Uh, if you are interested in learning about my my uh, my checklist and how we research stocks from start to, to end, uh, check out my YouTube channel. I am uh, Brian Feroldi YT for YouTube uh, on there. That sounds good. And you guys know where you can find me at Camboni11, C-A-M-B-O-N-I-1-1 on anything twitter stock twist instagram you know whatever you know so uh hey brian i appreciate you coming on here dropping that that good knowledge on the future one percenters <laughs> love it <laughs> thanks for having me cam i'm glad we can make this work yep all right thank you see you nice to meet you but